I think was really driven and attracted by the thing we refer to as the double benefit. If we're going to make money and generate returns for investors, we're only going to do that because we've impacted patients and we've you know, given tools or, or solutions to care providers. And that was really appealing. Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from the brightest founders and CEOs in medical devices and health technology. Join tens of thousands of ambitious doers as we unpack the insights, tactics, and secrets behind the most successful life science startups in the world. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this episode of MedSider, I sat down with David Hawkman, founder and CEO of Orchestra Biomed. He has over two decades of experience in healthcare entrepreneurship, venture capital, and investment banking. David has a history of leading successful medical startups, including Orchestra Medical Ventures and Accelerated Technologies. As chairman of Modus GI and former board member of Corbis Pharmaceuticals and ProLore Biotech, David has been instrumental in advancing medical technologies, contributing to significant mergers and acquisitions, and many fundraising successes. Here for you the key things that we discussed in this conversation. First, embrace creativity in structuring partnerships and business models. The nature of collaboration depends on you and your partner organization's vision, capabilities, and long-term goals. When done right, sharing risks and rewards can be highly productive. Second, having robust operational capabilities enables you to generate more clinically meaningful data. The more impactful the data, the more value you can build over time. Third, prioritize a long-term outlook over short-term gains. Do not cut corners in favor of reaching certain milestones, especially in clinical trials that ladder up to your regulatory strategy. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know that the latest edition of MedSider Mentors is now live. Volume 4 summarizes the key learnings from the most popular MedSider interviews over the last several months with folks like Rob Ball, CEO of Shoulder Innovations, Kate Rumrell, CEO of Ablative Solutions, Dr. Christian Ramdo, CEO of Tempa Health, and other leaders of some of the hottest startups in the space. Look, it's tough to listen or read every MedSider interview that comes out, even the best ones. But there are so many valuable lessons you can glean from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's the easiest way for you to learn from the world's best medical device and health technology entrepreneurs in one central place. If you're interested in learning more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Premium members get free access to all past and future volumes. And if you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of Medsider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. You'll also be able to see all of our playbooks, which are hand-picked collections of the most insightful interviews with the brightest founders and CEOs. Whether you're looking to master capital fundraising, navigate early stage development, tackle regulatory challenges, understand reimbursement, or position your venture for a meaningful exit, MedSider Playbooks have you covered. And last, considering that fundraising can be one of the most daunting tasks for any startup, we created a meticulous database of investors right at your fingertips. Explore a wealth of VC funds, private equity firms, angel groups, and more, all eager to invest in medical device and health technology startups. Access to this database is a premium member exclusive, so don't miss out. Learn more about MedSider Mentors and our premium memberships by visiting MedSiderRadio.com forward slash mentors. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash mentors. All right, without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. All right, David, welcome to MedSider Radio. Appreciate you coming on. Hey, thanks, Scott. It's great to be here. Thanks. I recorded your short bio at the outset of this uh, particular episode, but um, let's start there. I'd love to hear it kind of from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Uh, give us a sense for kind of your your professional background leading up to kind of what you're doing and focused on at, at Orchestra. And obviously, if you can kind of give us elevator style kind of background, that'd be yeah. most helpful. Yeah. 
I'd be happy to. So um, I have been now 25 years plus in as an entrepreneur and a venture capitalist is really my background in the field of uh, healthcare innovation. Um, I will say there was a period in early in my career, I also worked in telecom innovation, media innovation. I kind of got an opportunity to choose early on, you know, which path I wanted to take. And I'll admit that I did not have uh, much background in science and medicine coming out of uh, my academic background, but the on-the-job learning really fueled a passion for the field. Suddenly I discovered, wait a minute, I, I, I love this stuff. Um, it comes to me reasonably naturally. I like uh, the opportunity to work with doctors and innovators. And I think was really driven and attracted by the thing we refer to as a double benefit. If we're going to make money and generate returns for investors, we're only going to do that because we've impacted patients and we've you know given tools or or solutions to care providers. And that was really appealing. I got to work early in my career in venture capital in both biotech, actually more biotech before I got into the device space. Um, also had some early work in kind of collaborative care models, healthcare information, sort of what now is an explosive field of kind of digital health. I got to see a lot. What drew me to medical device innovation was at least in the early days, was this perceived shorter cycle of you know <laughs> kind of both turning an idea into you know a product as well as maybe turning you know that work into a return on investment, and so I think I came to really focus on device innovation, device investments. Got to help co-found a company in interventional cardiology in the early two thousands. And that really started, I got to work with some of uh, the key opinion leaders that we all know in interventional cardiology. Uh, that really turned me on. And I wanted to, to be involved in pursuing concepts purpose-built for unmet needs mm-hmm. and you know, building companies and products from that stage to, through the cycle. And I thought this was a great field to do it. I joined an accelerator called Accelerated Technologies, Inc. that had, uh, Marty Leon was one of the founders and that accelerator itself was kind of born out of the birth of structural intervention. Uh, PVT was one of the first projects that sort of was born in parallel to the accelerator. And um, I joined the accelerator in 2006. It's interesting, very shortly thereafter, the world changed, I think, <laughs> in terms of uh, you know, broadly, certainly, but I, I think the device innovation field has become much more challenging ever since uh, probably 2008 for a variety of reasons. But we did continue to pursue that model. It was physician-driven. We would really talk about unmet needs with uh, a group of uh, innovators, spent a lot of time and purpose-built solutions. We, I had joined to help raise for that accelerator uh, our own dedicated venture fund we did that in a tough environment, founded some new projects. Uh, but as I said, the, the rules of engagement had changed. And, um, you know, what you where kind of regularly you could have in the past taken ideas, early data points, maybe even first in human data and see larger companies, middle market companies acquire those and then take it from there. Uh, that's, I think, not the norm anymore. And we ended up founding Orchestra Biomed in 2018. A lot of the best ideas are born out of adversity. <laughs> we got a problem. We got to solve that problem. 
got to figure out a different and, you know, maybe for some ambitious product, better way of approaching how do you get through development? How do you get through now a much more complex and demanding environment for clinical data, clinical trials, higher expectation, higher bar for regulatory approvals, and frankly, for market adoption? Um, how do you do that when the capital needs and the time are, are longer? Uh, how do you do that when the exits, the acquirers are looking not just for good ideas, but they're looking for products that are actually generating top line revenue? And we had some some exciting products that are now really flagship parts of our portfolio that we felt needed a different way. Mm -hmm. And that's what we found in the company. And our core thesis at Orchestra Biomed was to focus on partnerships. How could we align with the strategic partner, the established global med tech leader that had the commercial infrastructure to make one of these products successful, assuming you have the data to generate a regulatory approval? How can we align early in a risk reward sharing um, structure so that we could help each other, we could help them secure potentially a very important future growth asset. Um, we could help them to execute on development work where frankly, you'd be surprised big companies only have so much resource, so many people that can run clinical trials. And frankly, a big theme of Orchestra Biomed is focusing on um, how do we supplement or expand the R&D P&L capacity of our strategic partners. We can talk more about it, but be surprised how limited the med tech strategics are and what they really can spend on research and development. So how can we enable them at the same time? One of the things that's so exciting about medical device field is when you, you know, create a new product and bring that to market and build a new capability in, in healthcare intervention, healthcare and with technology, that can become a standard and, a, and sort of a commercial franchise for decades. And so venture capitalists tend to focus on, let's build it, let's invest, let's get to an exit. Well, oftentimes the exit undervalues the long arc of value, we like to call it. You, know, you miss some of that huge value creation that happens after the fact. And so our idea was, can we participate through revenue shares or royalties mm. in that long arc of value? And, and by doing so, you know, can we generate greater returns, more value for our shareholders? So we really had to found a new company. We integrated a couple of our lead programs we felt were really ideal for this model and set out to convince the world that, uh, you know, this could work. Um, and, and I think five years into it, um, we've had uh, some success we're proud of. We still have more work to do. There were a lot of skeptics early when we started down this path. Yeah, as I said, we have more to prove, but I think we are doing a good job of bringing different creative thinking to bear. And we have some great partnerships, one with Medtronic, one with Terumo, and we're executing on, on our lead programs and actively looking for more opportunities to put the model to work. Yeah, I, I definitely want to uh, make sure we have enough time to kind of dive a little bit deeper into that model because it's very, I think, creative, right? Like we discussed kind of before we hit the, the re record button on this conversation, but uh, but I think it would be valuable, right? For others that want to sort of uh, maybe approach things a little bit a little bit differently, right? Uh, which is which is needed, I think, in this kind of global uh, macroeconomic yeah. in, in environment. We like to say, you know, if we do our job well, you know, we we won't be the only people doing it this way, you know. Sure. Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, we're we're looking to be flattered with other people, you know, saying, "Hey, that what those guys are doing is is smart, and 
we can't do everything. I think mm -hmm. we're just trying to inspire sparks, you know, for the industry. Hey, there are other ways to go about this. Mm -hmm. You know, I mentioned that I, I got to work on, on a lot of biopharma opportunities early in my venture career. That many, in many ways, was the inspiration for mm. this. If you look at the drug development field, and it dwarfs in terms of companies, projects, you know, dollars invested, you know, revenue. What we do in the medtech space doesn't mean our work is any less important. But partnerships are fundamental to how mm -hmm. drugs have been developed for the last, you know, many decades. And uh, big pharma, big biotech, uh, you know, small biotech have used and continue to use a lot of creativity and structuring to help take what can be long, unpredictable, expensive development cycles and share risk and reward. And the capital markets have rewarded them by, you know, kind of putting a lot of, you know, we're in a disrupted capital market, but in a normal capital market, a lot of future, a lot of net present value, future potential cash flows. And as a, as a med tech venture capitalist, uh, we, I was just intensely jealous <laughs> of, <laughs> of, of how that, you know, created opportunities for realizations and also opportunities to capitalize good ideas. Yep. And so that's been a big part also of how, you know, we sort of thought through and we're continuing to learn and, and also how we surround ourselves with some people that know that better than we do and, and try to apply some some of the ideas. Not all of it will work, but there are some good ideas in biotech we can learn from and apply in the medtech field. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a one of my favorite books of all time is Austin Kleon's uh, Steel Like an Artist. And I, I love that concept of like looking at other verticals, other industries and saying, oh, that I think that could work over here, right? So let me actually like take a piece of that, or maybe the whole concept or idea, and and, and apply it over here. And uh, it, it's funny that you bring up biotech because when I was I, I've heard of orchestra and kind of been loosely kind of following what you've been doing, but I've never really you know gone a little bit deeper and kind of like tried to understand kind of uh, what you guys what what your team is is doing until until leading up to this interview. And I was like, this, this looks a little bit like there's some biotech in here, right? Some biotech mm -hmm. modeling, right? Um, and so it's funny that you you brought that up. So um, let, let's circle back around to that here, here in a bit, but give us a sense for kind of your, your two, you mentioned your two flagship products, um, which are Virtue SAB and then Backbeat CNT. Give us a sense for like kind of those those two flagships uh, and almost as if like, say I'm a, I'm a high school freshman and I'm wanting to know kind of what, what do these two products do? What do these two yeah. devices do? Yeah. Well, and, and we've had an exciting last couple months and then just in the last couple of weeks because we got we announced ID approvals for both programs. And just mm -hmm. uh, it really last week um, had an, announced our full ID approval for our Backbeat CNT program, which we partnered with Medtronic. So let me start there. Now that we're a year into our partnership with Medtronic, we are calling the therapy atrioventricular interval modulation therapy. I'm glad I said that without stuttering. Um, or AVIM therapy, you know, um, it, it does really describe what we're doing. It is a backbeat or AVIM therapy is a, uh, we think, potentially potent treatment for hypertension, high blood pressure, which is really the largest medical problem in the world, affects over a billion people. We are targeting very specific patient populations. What's exciting about it is it's essentially a way of reprogramming a pacemaker. We don't change a dual chamber pacemaker. We don't have to change the hardware, the implant, the procedure. And hypertension is the number one comorbidity in that you know established patient population. Over a million pacemakers get implanted every year. And upwards of 70% of those patients have hypertension. And a pacemaker patient is going to be on average in the early 70s. 
Um, they clearly have, you know, one cardiovascular you know, rhythm problem, but typically they have more than one and other comorbidities. Um, they're going to be on medication for their blood pressure, likely multiple drugs, and have a harder time controlling their blood pressure. The disease tends to be a little different than, you know, someone in their 50s that develops high blood pressure. They're probably going to be on a bunch of other medications. So complying and adhering to medication becomes tougher for those patients. Our therapy is a way of leveraging the capabilities of pacemaker to control blood pressure, both hemodynamically and then use that control to reprogram or, uh, uh, I guess, um, alter the autonomic nervous system responses that have play a big role in both driving and maintaining um, dangerous elevated blood pressure, doing that really, you know, through a pacemaker device. And so while I don't, we think of it as entirely therapy, effectively it's a feature or capability we can add to a pacemaker that now also allows that device in the background to be lowering blood pressure. And so that ID is exciting. We partnered with Medtronic, who we all know is the global dominant leader in, in cardiac pacing therapies uh, last year focused on the first indication of treating hypertension in the existing pacemaker population. We worked with them very carefully to design this trial that we got ID approval of. They integrated our therapy, which we developed. Um, actually, it was part, it was one of the concepts that we developed as part of the, the Accelerator Venture portfolio that became a wholly owned asset of Orchestra when we founded the company. Uh, but they integrated our therapy into their um, pacemaker devices. Mm -hmm. Um, they did all of that testing and we then engaged the FDA and have a trial that will get going on uh, uh, soon here in 2023 um, that we think is a registrational study to then allow really hand Medtronic, hopefully a submission ready, it'll be a PMA supplement, but a submission ready package that then they can commercialize globally this mm -hmm. powerful therapy, uh, hopefully for the benefit of a lot of patients that every year you know, or becoming pacemaker patients. There's more we can do with it after that we can talk about, but that's, so that's really the flagship program. And then Virtue product we also developed, and it was, those were the two kind of core assets we started. We said, hey, went to our lead investors and said, we think we have great lead programs. We have a great idea and partnerships and risk reward sharing, but you know, a model is only as good as what are your pipeline programs? How do you prove it? So virtue is a sirolimus eluding balloon, but a novel eluding balloon, we call it an angio-infusion balloon. So instead of a coated balloon, we've developed a long-acting formulation of sirolimus. We deliver it and enable angioplasty. We deliver the drug through the balloon, so there's no surface coating. And uh, sirolimus is the gold standard drug used on stents to help prevent restenosis. Sirolimus is, is kind of I'll use a pun. It's eluded um, the industry in terms of how do we <laughs> get a drug coated balloon with sirolimus because it works differently um, in many ways better, but it needs to be present in the artery for more than 30 days. And so we did a lot of innovative work to figure out how do we make that uh, ideally uh, capable without the problems of a, of a coating you can lose in transit and create particulates. So we've done a different job there. And so virtue, we think, um, has a potential to be a best-in-class solution in terms of a uh, angioplasty and drug combination. And as TCT is, you know, coming up in a few weeks, uh, we've been working in the field of of drug-eluting balloons for a while. And for a lot of years, the idea that we would 
use a drug-eluting balloon in the coronary arteries um, was also something people were skeptical of. I think today we're seeing kind of thought leaders say this is the future, you know, the future of, of kind of the largest core segment of device innovation and interventional cardiology is let's use stents in the future as an exception, not as the rule. And we're excited about also embarking on uh, a study, a pivotal study in, a, in coronaries with that product, first in instant restenosis. So okay. those are the two flagship programs. Our partner there is Terumo, um, yeah. who uh, is the largest uh, Japanese global uh, medical device company and, a, and an innovator in a lot of key areas in interventional cardiology. Yeah, super helpful. And just just one follow up question with respect to the the Virtue uh, SAB uh, program. So it sounds like that that balloon because one of the problems, right, with drug coated balloons historically is just um sort of the, uh, the the sheer amount of drug that falls off, right, as you navigate the balloon to the target vessel. And so it sounds like you're almost in, infusing, like almost like a weeping balloon. Is that kind of do I am I understanding? It's, that it's a microporous balloon, but it is an angioplasty balloon. We okay. do you know uh, you know full pressure angioplasty. That's the primary device mechanism of action. And so some of our innovation is how do you have a balloon with holes in it that's also yeah. delivering drug but also performing angioplasty. The, the, but you, you, you talk about one of the, the key problems. Um, you know, stents have stable durable coatings that are designed to take advantage of the fact that the stent is permanent. You know, mm -hmm. you put a stent in, it's never going away. That's part of the problem. And so designing a coating where you can elute a drug like sirolimus or another limus out over 30, potentially 30 plus days is a lot easier. Designing a balloon that's only going to be in the body for, you know, you know, 30, 45, 60 seconds, and all of the drug is supposed to stay on the balloon mm -hmm. all the way through to the point where you want it to then all come off and ideally go to your target lesion is, in our view, just impossible. So, mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot of data out there where, you know, the vast majority of the drug on the balloon is lost in transit or in inflation. Our device allows for what we call protected delivery. Actually, the drug is at the back of the catheter and the physician only delivers our drug, which we call Sirolimus EFR, extended focal release, when they're ready. They're looking, hey, I'm ready to deploy my balloon and inflate my balloon and they know they've delivered the full dose of drug because they literally see mm -hmm. that measured dose go through the catheter once the drug's deployed you're done yep. so it's a really different device concept that we think has really procedural advantages but most importantly we know balloon angioplasty works we know that sirolimus works if you get enough drug to the tissue and you have it there over a long enough period of time and so we did a lot of work and we published a lot of our data showing uptake and long-term elution with our formulation and obviously because of the device design a lot more confidence that the drug is going where it needs to go right right yeah definitely uh, it sounds like you're solving for one of the most significant challenges right with drug historically with the uh, with drug coated balloons um so. we are trying you know yeah. we, we put a lot of work into it yeah no doubt well cool um i think that serves as a nice segue and you gave us a sense kind of for where you're at with both programs in terms of kind of the the ClinReg uh, pathways. Um, and before, we, I guess, we go any further, for those listening that don't get to the full uh, the full uh, write-up on MedSite or orchestrabiomed.com is the site where you can go learn a little bit more about uh, those two flagship products as well as the rest of the pipeline. So it's Orchestra, just as it sounds, orchestrabiomed.com. We'll, of course, link to it in the full write-up on MedSite or two, um, as, as well as uh, David's LinkedIn profile. Okay, so that, that, sort of, that gives us a chance. I want to be mindful of the time. We've got about 30 minutes left. Um, 
let's go back in time a little bit. Um, and I've got a, a, a list of questions. We won't get to all of them, I don't think. Uh, but let's start with this risk reward sharing. You touched on it already. I think it's really novel, right? That, that, that model. Give us a sense, and I'm not sure how much you can share, um, but give us a, a little bit better sense because my understanding, kind of hearing you describe it, is you've taken you've taken kind of a concept that's been around in biotech for a while, applied it to to, to medtech, and it almost sounds like you're creating almost like a, an accelerator, uh, individual accelerators in partnership with strategics that allows you to kind of capture that long term that long term value. But yeah, g- give us a give us a, no. a, a greater greater understanding of like how 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 this how this works. Hey there, it's Scott, and thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadeem Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.